Well, praise the Lord. So blessed to be able to be here this morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the 14th chapter of the book of Mark. We're winding down in the book of Mark. We'll be in Mark Wednesday night, and then next Sunday morning we'll have a special Lord's Supper service and finish out the book of Mark. And uh, we start Vacation Bible School next Sunday night, and we've got a Bible school for all ages, from the nursery all the way up through senior adults. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. You can learn a great deal in four nights studying the Word of God a couple of hours each night. So I hope you'll be a part of that. Mark chapter 14, verse 53 is where we'll start. I heard about a florist that had gotten busy on one weekend and he was throwing things in the back of his van to make deliveries. And he got to this particular gas station and he pulled out the large floral arrangement he had for him. And on that was a ribbon that said, Loving Father, Precious Papa. And the guy at the gas station just threw a wall-eyed fit. He said, Man, do you know what you've done? This is the wrong arrangement. It's not supposed to be here. And I mean, he just began to just really nail him to the wall. The floor said, Sir, just calm down. It's not near as bad as what I've just done. Just a few moments ago, I left a horseshoe-shaped arrangement at a guy's funeral that said, good luck on your new location. (laughs) I don't know about you, but sometimes we make mistakes, amen? Now, I'm not talking about pagans and heathen and all that. I'm talking about born-again, redeemed, blood-bought folk who love the Lord Jesus Christ can still mess up. Do you know that? Every one of us are in that category. Some, uh, that's the case this morning. Let's just read the scripture. Look at verse 53. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Mark 14, verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest. With him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Then look down at verse 66. And Peter was beneath in the palace where there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, Thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I that thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they stood by again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice. Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereupon, he wept. Father, thank you this morning for the blessings already of being in your house. Would you continue to speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus? And then may we be obedient to what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I want to go ahead and just give you the point of the message today in case you go to sleep or you have to slip out or whatever. I want to tell you, The whole bottom line of everything is Peter's denial here 
then his repentance, and then his restoration. And if you're saved, there are going to be times when you blow it. Now, here's the whole key to the whole message. You're not a better sinner than he is a Savior. (laughs) You didn't get that. You're not a better sinner than he is a Savior. I'm telling you, whatever you've done this morning, you've said, I'm on the shelf. There's no way I can be used. We've got a Savior who can pick you up where you are and who can use you. If you'll repent, if you'll come back to him, he'll forgive you and he'll put you back in service. Now, what that means for us is that most of us, our best days can still be ahead of us. Sometimes there's sin and failures that are secretive. No one knows anything about it but us. Just us and the Lord. It's secretive. If it ever gets out that we're not the person that those folk down at the church think we are, we're in a mess. Sometimes, though, those failures uh, go to a group of friends or maybe to an area. I tell you, in a town like Longview, there's not much to see and there's not much to do, but what you hear makes up for it. Sometimes it's secretive, sometimes it goes to groups, sometimes it goes all over the world. I mean, all, all, I can just mention names like Jimmy Swaggart or Jim Baker or Ted Haggard. Put Simon Peter right in there too. Messed up, messed up. This was Thursday night, maybe early Friday morning. The Last Supper has happened, the Garden of Gethsemane, the kiss of betrayal, the mock trials are beginning. There's a dead religious bunch of zealots about to condemn our Lord to be crucified and to die. He's about to hang on a cross. And if ever there was a time when Jesus needed a friend, it's right now. But he didn't get it. Peter denies him. Now I realize this is probably not the kind of sermon you're going to want to shout amen to. But I pray it's the kind of sermon that God will speak to your heart. And that It'll challenge you. Sometimes uh, sermons cause us to shout. Sometimes sermons nail us to the pew. But I pray God would speak to your heart in this sermon this morning. Why does spiritual failure happen? I mean, why does it happen? We know it happens. It's happened to every one of us. So why does it happen? Maybe we can figure out why it happens. Maybe it wouldn't happen as much. I mean, sometimes it happens to a neighbor. Sometimes it happens to a fellow church member sitting in the pew next to us. Sometimes we look into the mirror and it's us that it's happened to. How did it happen? Well, I think the first thing for spiritual failure, it always brings about by pride. Verse 27 of Mark 14, Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it's written, I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I'll go before you unto Galilee. But Peter said, Although all shall be offended, yet not I. Not I. I'm better. I'm a choice servant. Lord, you remember a few days ago you called me the rock. Me. These other guys may, not me. I'm not going to fall. You have no clue. Lord, you don't know me as well as you think you know me. Andrew might, John might, Matthew might, but not me. Not me, I'm strong. 
Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, shame comes thereafter. Proverbs 6.17, a proud look is an abomination to God. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. I'm talking about to the man this morning that says, I don't have to worry about it. I can carry my secretary out to lunch because I'm spiritual. I'm the rock. It won't bother me. I'll not fall. I'll not fall. I'm talking to the woman this morning that says, I love the Lord so much, I don't have to go to Sunday school. That's for those weak folk that need to know more about Jesus. I'm already there. Pride. Pride. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. When you begin to say, I'll never sin, I'll never stumble, I'll never fail the Lord, it's almost like a, you, you think you're living in a safe neighborhood. you know. And you begin to think, well, I don't have to lock my doors. I'm living in a safe neighborhood. I remember growing up, I'm, I don't even think we had a back door. If it was, it was a screen door. And you begin to get lax with everything. You begin to get happy with everything. And suddenly somebody comes in and robs you and it just it literally just jolts you. It's one thing to lose your house. But oh my soul, when you've lost your heart because you've become lax. Great giants throughout the Bible, Eve, man, the devil comes up to her. You know, remember his name? He used to be Lucifer, the music director. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm reading the Bible. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> and I want to tell you what, our ministry of music can tell you in a New York minute. That's probably one of the biggest prideful positions right there. You have to be careful about that. You really do. Man, God, God has blessed this church with some musical talent that is unreal. It's unreal. It's unreal. The devil says, hey, this fruit will make you wise. Remember what happened? She eats it, filled with pride. How about King Saul? Man, King Saul came to the place in 1 Samuel 16 where God said, I wish to goodness, I regret ever making you king. What happened there? Well, if you go back one chapter more to 1 Samuel 15, you'll find that Saul set himself up as a monument. Boys, look at me. I'm somebody. When you listen, when you start believing what people say about you good, look out. You're on your way down. King Uzziah, man, young man. Remember, Isaiah was the prophet, powerful, young man. Second Chronicles 26 says he became so strong that he went into the temple and burned incense. You say, preacher? What's wrong with that? God said, don't do that. That's not the king's job. That's the priest's job. And because he thought he was so good, he could do whatever he wanted to, God set a case of leprosy on him, and he was exiled to his own kingdom. How about David? Stayed home in bed while his men were out on the field, and then he ends up in bed with another man's wife. Then he ends up guilty of murder. Samson. My soul, mighty in battle, strong. But he's laying over in Delilah's lap. And she finally gets the secret out. And she calls a Philistine barber. And then she wakes him up. Says, Samson, they're here, they're here. And he jumps up. It's the saddest word you'll ever read in the Bible. 
he knew not that the Spirit of God had left him. Pride. Pride. Not only pride, though, but prayerlessness. Probably one of the highlights of the Southern Baptist Convention this week was Dr. Steve Gaines preaching a sermon. And I'll guarantee you, I'll preach it. I just got to find the right time. His is powerful. And he talks, his first point was, we have got to minister to God. You say, minister to God? That's right. It's, a, it's a, the, the, the original language. We minister to God. We praise him. We thank him. We pray to him. See, here, here's what our deal is, and I just got it from this sermon. Most of us are out here trying to minister to each other horizontally. And if you've not ministered with the Lord, you're going to fall flat trying to minister to people. People are going to tick you off. They'll tick you off when you're walking around filled with the Spirit. If you haven't had your time with God, they sure enough will tick you off. Prayer is important. You'll never be more for God in public than you are with God in private. Pride puts you on an autopilot, but prayerlessness makes you run on an empty tank. Now listen to me. We were flying an airplane, going out there this week. Boy, it was a, it was a mess. It was a hoot. I mean, it, this whole week's been just a traumatic thing, one thing after another. We, uh, of course, Miss Charlene Hitt passed away, and so I postponed our first flight to make sure that everything was taken care of and we didn't get out uh, early that morning. We didn't leave until dinner. And the lady says, no problem, Reverend. I'll, I'm going to charge you $33 for the change of the fare and everything. I said, no problem. That would be fine. Our church got money. Don't let the clothes fool you. <laughs> and everything was great, we thought, until we got ready to get on the plane to come back. The lady did not tell us that the $33 was in addition to the other complete round fare fare that was coming back. So Becky and I didn't have any fare coming home. Now, when you see a grown preacher cry, they, they make amends and they gave us a fare home. We got home. But I'm telling you, I, a guy between, oh, well, anyhow, that's another story. But, but, I, but I got to think in, going out there, I'm not sure whether we landed in Phoenix or whether we got shot down. I mean, it was just, it was that kind of a ride. Coming back was wonderful. So I began to think about airplanes. You know, you put that thing on autopilot, man, it just, and I love the new autopilot stuff. You know, you, my, my truck's got one of them things. I turn a knob, and I just sit back, and it backs up to the trailer all by itself. I don't even have to touch the steering wheel. Ladies, they got a car that'll parallel park for you like that now. But listen to me. I don't care what kind of autopilot you put that thing on. If there's no gas in the tank, you're going down. I don't care how good a GPS equipment you got. I don't care all the tools you've got. If you don't have gas in the tank, and the prayer is the gas in the tank. You've got to be prayed up. I don't need to go to church every Sunday. There's no reason why I have to come back on Sunday night. Good Lord knows that. I sure don't have to be here on Wednesday night. I got all that stuff. Pride, prayerlessness. Let me tell you what else does leads to spiritual failure is pressure. Pressure. 
Verse 64 of Mark chapter 14. The Bible says, You've heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Hmm. They all condemned him. See, now the other gospel tells us that Peter is within eye distance of the Lord. The Lord's got an eye on him. I find it amazing that as long as Jesus is walking on water, Peter's there saying, I'm with him. Lord, bid me come. Remember that in the boat? I'm with him. As long as he's at the grave calling Lazarus to come forth, Peter's got broad shoulders and he's saying, I'm with him. As long as they're multiplying the fish and the bread and the unstopping of the deaf ears and the healing of the lame and the raising of the dead, I'm with him. But you let death come. I don't know him. I don't know him. Oh, you got to be one. Oh, no, I don't know him. Even to the point of beginning to curse him. Wow. Pride, prayerlessness, and pressure. Now, what, what are the results of falling here? Well, the first thing is the relationship is strained. Now, listen to me. I know everybody's not going to agree with this. But the relationship is not severed. He didn't lose his salvation. His relationship was just strained. After he denied the Lord, someone right. Verse 72 says, The second time the cock crew, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he thought thereon, he wept. Literally, he wept bitterly, the translations say. You know, there was a time when Peter looked in the eye of Jesus and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. There was a time on the Mount of Transfiguration that Peter looked up and said, Lord, it's good to be up in here. Let's build three tabernacles. And let's just stay here. Let's just have a good time. Just a few hours earlier at the supper, the Lord's Supper, he said, Lord, I'll never forsake you. He was singing nothing between my Lord and my Savior. He was singing, search me and try me, O Lord. Now because of sin, he turns and he runs. You want to know why some people, not, you're not going to get back in church until they get right with God? Because they've got sin in their life. And you're not going to sit in a service like this and hear the songs of Zion like this and hear the Word of God. Not that it's a great preacher, but it's the Word of God. That's what the pyre is. doesn't matter who the man in the pulpit is. People just say, well, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't feel comfortable there. I don't feel comfortable in your church. Well, that's good. It's really good. It could be a sign that you're saved. Because if you were living in sin and you feel comfortable, you might not be saved. Something might be wrong. There's strained, but it's also a time of spiritual unrest. The Bible says that he ran out in another gospel violently, weeping violently. Now, you know, <laughs> you ever deal with your kids or grandkids and they're trying to get a tear. I mean, they're, they're going all the way down to their toes trying to bring up a tear. And you say, hey, it ain't going to work. 
Not, not Peter. Peter's got crocodile tears. I mean, they're flowing. He is weeping violently. 2 Peter 2, verse 7 and 8, he, Peter describes Lot, and he says it like this. He vexed his righteous soul and was tormented. Literally, he was so tormented and so at unrest that he was crying. Let me tell you something this morning. The most miserable person in this church today is not that person that was lost. You probably had a blast last night. It's not the one that's lost. The most miserable person sitting here this morning is the one that's been saved but's not walking with God. And you're sitting here like a cat in a hot tin roof. You're nervous. You're unrested. Don't run. Come back to Jesus. But I want to tell you what else, too, is a result of it here. Let me just be honest. He ends up with a bad testimony. God's done some great things through Peter. I mean, he's, remember, he's out there on the boat. He said, hey, throw your net on the other side. Oh, Lord, we fished all night. Nevertheless, Lord, it's your word. I'll do that. Remember how many fish they caught? They piled them in that boat. That was Peter. He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He wrote two books, First and Second Peter. He's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. God has used him greatly. But I want to tell you, listen to me. If you go down to the 7-Eleven and say, hey, what about this guy named Simon Peter? I guarantee you that guy behind the stand would say, oh, that's the guy that denied the Lord three times. You do all the good you want to do. But when you fall, that's what the world's going to remember. It's going to be miserable. That's what they're going to remember. We can do great things, but I'm going to tell you, one failure wipes out a lot of great things. Now let me give you the cure, and I'm through. We've got to get out of here earlier because I didn't cook dinner, and we've got to go to a restaurant somewhere. I hate to stand in line. <laughs> the gospel is the good news. Now listen to me. You can't fully grasp the good news until first of all you get a hold of the bad news. The bad news is that you're lost and you can't save yourself. The good news is someone's already died on the cross for you. <laughs> we, how does it happen? Well, it begins first of all with repentance. Verse 72, he remembers, he thought thereon, he remembers the Lord. You say, well, how do we know for sure somebody has repented? Well, I can tell you this, it's not going to be for tears. Because I know a lot of people that can turn on tears any time they want to. My soul. You, I better not go there. You, <laughs> Some of you are so tender-hearted, you watch a skunk get run over and you start crying. <laughs> that, that's tears. That, that, but, but how do you know if it's repentance? Well, in Acts 2.14, the crowd is there, that same crowd that cried a week before, Lord, Hosanna, hell, King of kings. They're hollering, crucify him, crucify him. And you know what Peter said to that crowd? I'm with him. I'm with him. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 14. You go on a little bit further over in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Peter and John, they were brought into the council meeting. They were threatened. And they said, look, you go, we're going to let you go on your way, but you don't talk about Jesus anymore. Remember what Peter said? you got to decide whatever you need to decide. We done figured it out. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. That's Peter. That's how you know repentance. It's a change. The same people that caused him to fall in Acts 5.27, the disciples and Peter, they're taken in, and many of them are beaten within an inch of their life, and they said, stop preaching about Jesus. But Peter said, we're going to keep on preaching about Jesus. Count it all joy. There was a change in his behavior. Never again, anywhere in the Bible, does Peter deny the Lord. Never again. Not only repentance, but restoration. In Mark 16, verse 6 and 7, listen to what the Bible says. It's the ladies, it's the first day of the week, first Easter Sunday morning. They came looking for Jesus he said, be not frightened. You seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now listen, go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> tell the disciples and Peter. Let's throw Peter in here too. Be sure you tell Peter that I've got a job for you. I'm not finished with you. When you repent, let me tell you what God does. He restores let me give you the last thing, and I'm through. You not only repent, and not only is there restoration, but there's a job reassignment. God's got something for you to do. Now, I won't tell you, granted, you fall into sin. I'm not telling you. I, God forgave David, but I don't think David was ever what God really wanted him to be because of his sin. But God still used him greatly. If you failed miserably, let me tell you, all you got to do is look at Acts 2, verse 37. Old Peter, the one who denied the Lord just a short while ago, is preaching on Pentecost, and three, not one, not two, 3,000 people saved. Hmm. Within weeks of the great failure, Simon Peter preaching the world's church's first sermon. No one here probably is old enough to remember the game. Some of you think you probably are, but you're not. But you've read about it. In 1929, UCLA was playing Georgia Tech, the Rose Bowl. UCLA had an All-American center, but he fumbled the ball. Georgia Tech grabbed the ball. There was a riot went on on the field. They stole the ball back. Georgia Tech stole the ball back, and Roy Wrongway Regals ran 69 yards the wrong way. His own quarterback tackled him on the one-yard line. <laughs> True story. Google that. Look it up. True story. They got into the locker room, and man, Regals just bowed his head. He said, I'm not, I'm not going back out. That was the first half. Coach said, suit up, get your helmet on. Coach Dibbs Pierce. He said, no, I'm not going back out. I done made a fool out of myself. I'm not going back out. Coach said, suit up, get your helmet on. 
I'm not going back out, coach. Mm-mm. I messed up. I'm not going back out. Get your helmet on. The game's not over. Some of you men this morning need to hear this. Get your helmet back on. The game's not over. You may have blown it. You may have failed miserably, but the game's not over. Put your helmet back on. Get in the race. Don't let the devil have your family. Don't let the devil take your grandchildren. I'm not even going to let the devil take America. Get back in the race. I don't care how far you've run the wrong way. Jesus is standing with open arms saying, come. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. I pray this morning, Lord, that your spirit would speak to men and women and children in this place today. God, every one of us can relate to Simon Peter. We have failed you miserably. No doubt whatsoever. No doubt. Oh, God, would you bring us back and restore us. May we repent of what we've done, and may you restore us. And then, God, may we stand and say, Lord, here I am for your assignment. You show me what you want me to do. And may we be faithful to do that. Let me just share one more thing before we have our invitation. Just as our music plays softly, that's great. Becky and I were... sitting at the International Mission Board. You can go ahead and play. I like music. Amen. We were sitting at the International Mission Board banquet Monday night. At the table was a young man, 28 years old, had been married, has a two-year-old daughter. And we were talking and, and everything. I said, so what, what are you surrendered for? What, what are you going to do for the Lord? He said, my wife and daughter and I are on our way to the Middle East to learn Arabic. And we're going to become a witness for a Muslim. And I sat there and I thought, dear God. Man, 46 years ago, I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. But I think we've become so at lax in Zion and so at ease that we've forgotten there are still people who are giving up their life for the glory of God. And we sit here and not want to get involved, and we don't want to get in the race, and we don't want to be a part of a growing church. Oh, we want to come to a growing church, we just don't want to pay the price of being in a growing church. Maybe today, God is saying, hey, I want you here. I want you to be saved, I want your family to be saved, and I want you to be on the firing line. I'm going to ask you to come from all over this congregation. Brother Case will be here. Jason is over here. I'll be here at the front. Some of you say, well, we're not sure what to do. I'll tell you what we do. We believe in public invitations. Now, not all churches do that. Not all churches do that. But we believe that the Lord calls people out. Not secretly, but publicly. And I'm going to call you out this morning. And I'm going to ask you, 
I'm going to ask you to be in prayer about what God wants you to do. I'm going to ask you, don't be getting your coat and getting ready to leave. Don't be walking out. There'll be time. We do announcements after. If you need to leave early, have no problem with that. There'll be plenty of time for you to leave. But right now, the most important part of this entire service, we're in it right now. This is the time that God can change your life and make you new. Would you come right now? Come on, right now. As Brother Aaron leads us.